resolutions. Um, tomorrow morning, many, many people will start out in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, uh, only to by Valentine's Day have died in the fields of, of uh, you know, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy right? Uh, so those commitments and goals will start. Uh, maybe some of you are still working on yours. Uh, I know one of mine this year, I haven't done mine yet. Uh, I've got a couple floating around. I know one of them needs to be to stop procrastinating. Uh, I was going to, there's a, a, a Mexican uh, grocery store up here on 36th and MacArthur that if you walk in has a smoothie bar, and at the smoothie bar it has a neon sign that in Spanish says, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. And so I was going to go get a selfie of myself in front of that and put it in my PowerPoint, and uh, I didn't get the picture. And then I didn't finish my PowerPoint. And then I decided I probably don't need a picture of me with that saying in any language, if, if that's what, how much I keep putting it off. So I really need to firm up my resolutions. Uh, I'm probably going to do it tomorrow. So, Yeah, I saw that one. But one I, I really hope that this church has, and I hope you have, and it's not tied to New Year's, as Kevin mentioned earlier, and it's not tied to 2024, uh, but I hope that as you look into the future, uh, that as you look into the next year, that you do so with an expectation that God will show up and make a difference in your life. Yeah. Yeah. That, that God will change you each day, that we do have this constant sense of renewal and growth and improvement. And, and it's not just about self-help like we often think of at New Year's uh, it's about God shaping us into His image. It's about God empowering us to be the people in the world that He needs us to be. I hope that we have an expectation that because God is in your life, that He will move you in the coming days and months and year. That you will be a changed person as a result of having God in your life. I hope that you have an expectation that in the next year you will grow, that God will uh, improve you and increase you in some ways spiritually, that he will change you, that you're not going to be the same person in a year that you are today because God's going to move you. He's going to change you. He's going to grow you. There are things in your life that are unhealthy and bad and not of God that I hope that in the next year God cuts away from your life. And there are things in your life that are good that I hope God increases exponentially in your life. Uh, one of the things that you may have seen over and over again uh, in the past several days and weeks is that all of the ads on the radio and Facebook and social media and TV are trying to get you to lose weight. Um, maybe it's just my feed. If it's just mine and it's not yours, that's discouraging. Uh, but... Lots and lots of ads this time of year. Uh, on the way here, we heard uh, an ad on the radio about hypnosis clinics to help you stop smoking and, uh, and lose weight. So you can go to a hypnosis clinic uh, and just think your way into weight loss. I guess that's how it works. Um, but in all of these ads of diet programs and health programs and workout programs, the big thing they do is the before and after photo, right? The before and after. This is what I looked like before the diet, and these are the pants I'm wearing after the diet. This is me without my shirt before the diet, 
And this is me without my shirt after the diet. Look at all my muscles. Don't you want my muscles? Uh, and that's the before and after gimmick of all of these diet and health and fitness plans. And as Christians, if we believe that God's going to show up and change us in our lives, shouldn't we have before and after photos? Shouldn't we be able to say, here's my 2022 photo of me, and here's my 2023 photo of me, the end of the year, man, God's grown me. God's changed me. And it doesn't show up physically a lot of times. It may be uh, that, that our before and after photos are that we are spiritually healthy, that we are more filled with love and joy, that we are people who are more uh, embodied by faith and patience. It may be that what God has grown in you is your Christ-likeness. But as much as a diet plan should have dramatically different before and after photos if it wants people to get on board, as Christians, we should be different. And I think the more that we realize how much God has changed us from who we used to be in the past, the more we will have expectation that God will keep growing us in the future and changing us and influencing us and molding us into who he wants us to be. And so I'll tell you, this sermon is going to end today with us praying that God is going to send his spirit into our lives and into this church this year. That we're going to invite the spirit to become a change agent in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, and in our family, in this church family. But before we do that, I want to look at three different passages, a couple of different passages where we see people in Scripture uh, waiting with expectation on the Spirit. And the first one's one that we don't often think about. The first one's in 2 Kings chapter 2. Uh, and this is where the prophet Elijah is being taken up to heaven. And he's going to be handing off his ministry uh, to the prophet Elisha. And these two have been traveling together for some time. And Elisha has been learning from Elijah. And they have this bond and connection uh, of student and teacher, but almost more like father and son. They're so close. And Elisha has learned so much from Elijah. And when the story picks up, he's aware now that God is about to take Elijah away. And that he's not going to be with him anymore. And here's how this happens. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elijah, Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Um, this is really what's being said here is I don't want to talk about it shut up and leave me alone. That's the, the real translation here of what Elisha is saying. Don't remind me about the loss that I'm about to experience. So Elijah said to him, listen, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. 
Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went out and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Crossing the Jordan River on dry ground is an important thing in the Bible when that happens. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? He says, Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. He was so stricken by the grief of the loss of his spiritual father and friend. And Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? Didn't I tell you not to go? It's such an unusual story. The only time in Scripture we really read about the the chariots of fire that are there, uh, other than when we see them in the clouds, the army surrounding uh, Elisha later. And uh, when we see this, what we see is this story of Elisha asking for something very special from Elijah. He was a passionate and loyal disciple, and he desired the spirit that empowered Elijah to do incredible acts for God, to do incredible works for God's glory, to be given to him in this double portion. And I think you kind of, there's a temptation, I think, in reading this text to think, well, isn't that greedy to ask for double powers? Isn't that greedy to ask for a double benefit of what Elijah had? Because Elijah had, he did some great stuff. I mean, even in this own passage, he's crossed the Jordan on dry ground just by striking the water with his cloak. And and Elisha says, I want double what you've got. And it would be greedy if Elisha wanted it for his benefit. It would be selfish if he wanted it for his own glory. But Elisha wants this double portion of the Spirit so he can do God's work. He wants to do it so that he can be a prophet in Israel that brings many people's hearts back to God. He wants it to, be, uh, to become who God needs him to be. 
And yet when he asks for Elijah's spirit, it's not what Elijah has that he wants. It's what God's given him. And Elijah knows that. Elijah knows that when he ascends, that, that whether or not the spirit that has been dwelling within him, God working in him and through him, is going to be handed off to Elisha, isn't up to him. And so he can't simply say, yeah, I'll give it to you when I'm done with it and you can have it. Because he knows it's up to God and not up to him. And so he says, this is a difficult thing you ask. He tells him, I, I don't know if I can give you this. So here's the deal. If when I'm taken away, if God's going to give you the spirit, you'll see me as I ascend. If you don't see me, if I simply disappear from, from your sight, then you'll know that God has decided you're not going to receive this gift. That you'll have to go on doing the work of prophecy uh, on your own and with God has given you and not what I have been, has been entrusted to me. And so in this moment, when he sees Elijah ascending in the whirlwind, when he sees him being taken away uh, into the sky, he knows that he's being given this gift of a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And he expects things in his life to be different. So when he walks up to the Jordan River, he doesn't look around for a boat. He doesn't get there and say, boy, we walked across earlier. I don't know how I'm going to get across now. He gets there and he strikes the river with the cloak because he is confident that the spirit he asked for has been given to him. He has this expectation that he's going to be able to do this because he's been given what he asked for. I think there's so often in our lives that we ask God for something and then we don't act as if we expect it to be given to us. There's the old preacher story about the, the, you know, the preachers, the church down in Texas during a drought that got together and they prayed that the drought would end because it hadn't rained for months and months and months. And one girl shows up with an umbrella and they say, what are you doing? She says, we're going to pray for it. I'm going to show up with expectation that it's going to rain. No one else brought umbrellas. I'm sure that story is completely factual. Uh, but it, it demonstrates how often we pray for something and have no expectation that God's going to do it. How often we say, yeah, 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 I've got the Holy Spirit, but I don't actually expect to be different in a year than I am right now. That we say, I believe that God wants me to grow and God wants me to be a better person, but I mean, we'll see if it happens or not that we ask for things of God without expecting God to make a difference in our lives. That we think that we can have the Spirit dwelling within us and not be changed by it. And there's this other really interesting part of this story that, that I just really enjoy, and it's that the prophet, the company of the prophets comes up to uh, Elisha at the end and says, should we go look for him? And he says, no, don't go look for him. He said, but what if, what if the whirlwind just picked him up and dropped him somewhere, which is kind of comical. Uh, what if it just picked him up and dropped him, and he's just out there, and he needs someone to go find him? And, and Elisha says, you don't need to go look for him. I am confident, I'm confident that he received the gift that God gave him of ascending into heaven and being with God now. I'm confident of that. You don't have to go look for him. I, I don't even consider it a possibility that he's down here somewhere. I saw him leave with my own eyes. Don't go look. And they bugged him and they bugged him and they bugged him. That finally he went, fine, go look. They went and they looked for three days and they came back and they said, hey, funny thing, um, he's not out there. 
And Elisha says, yeah, I told you he's ascended to be with God now. But they notice that something about Elisha has changed. There's something that they see that the power of Elijah is dwelling on him in some way that's, that's visible or evident or obvious to them because God changes us when he comes into our lives. He doesn't leave us the same. And so when we get to Acts chapter 1, we need to have this story in our minds because all of the people that are here in the beginning of Acts have this story in their mind. This is the quintessential Jewish ascension story. And so when Jesus starts talking about how he's going to ascend to go to the Father, and he starts talking about how once he leaves, they're going to receive a spirit, they keep thinking, well, this all sounds very familiar. They keep thinking, we've heard this story. And they're also going to be thinking, I wonder if we'll all get the Spirit or if only one of us will get the Spirit. And if we see Him ascend, does that mean that we'll get it? And if we don't see Him, does that mean that we won't? They would have been asking all these questions, but all of those questions come from the echoes in their mind of what happened to Elijah and Elisha. So here we have in Acts chapter 1 a different story. Now Luke here is writing about Jesus in his... Uh, leaving this world to go be with the Father. And he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He says, uh, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We have the story about Jesus appearing in the upper room and, and the apostles touching his scars on his hand and about him eating to prove that he was alive. Uh, the stories about how Jesus said, hey, it, you know, how to catch fish in miraculous ways and, and the different things. What we see in this passage is that Jesus gives them many convincing proofs. And I think that's important. I think it's important that the apostles and the disciples uh, kept going back to Jesus and saying, are you really alive? And he had to keep giving them convincing proof after convincing proof. And part of the reason that matters is because we have this temptation today because we know all about science, science and weather and how things work. And we assume that they didn't know how things work. And so maybe they were just gullible old people from the old days of, you know, 2,000 years ago. And if someone got out of the grave and said, I was dead and now I'm alive, that they would just be gullible. That we think, uh, if, if we knew, if this happened today... We would know, no, that doesn't happen. We would be skeptics. It's important to know that the early witnesses that we have were extremely skeptical that a dead person could become an alive person. They were very skeptical, and it had to be proven over and over and over again that it had happened. They continued to question if he had done this unbelievable thing. And so even here, as he's about to ascend, we're reminded of their doubt we're reminded that these apostles are struggling to get their head around what Jesus 
is up to. And he says, listen, I'm not trying to surprise you here. I've told you over and over again about the spirit that you're going to receive. And so here's the, here's the command I'm giving you now as I'm about to ascend. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the spirit which the Father is going to give you. Wait for the gift that my Father has promised that I've told you about on a number of occasions. And we can look back at some of the things Jesus has told them about the Spirit because it's recorded in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 11, uh, in verse 9, he says this. He says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish will give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There's a piece to that verse that we don't often hear. Did you hear that right at the end? We talk about the ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. And we say what Jesus is saying here is if you pray for things, God wants to give them to you. We say, listen, we are flawed people and we give our kids good gifts. We don't give them snakes and scorpions. We give them good things that they want. How much more so will God, who is a better parent than you are, give good gifts to his children? And we take that and we say, listen, you just got to ask. You just got to pray. God's going to answer your prayers. And we miss the best gift of all. The point that is being made by Jesus here is, listen, if you request a good gift, you'll receive the greatest gift. And the greatest gift is the Holy Spirit. He, if God knows how to give better gifts than us, of course he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's a surprise ending to the passage with, with the way that we so often talk about it and think about it. But we need to realize that when they go to wait in the upper room, when they go to wait in Jerusalem uh, for what's going to be given to them, the expectation is that the greatest gift they could possibly be given is the Holy Spirit. And they start waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up and to change them, and to move them, and to do things that they've never imagined that they would be able to do. And that's what they do. And they're waiting because they know that what they're waiting for hasn't arrived yet. Because when it arrives, it's going to change things. Do we have that expectation? Do we expect that if God's in our lives that we're going to become changed people? That we'll become transformed people? That if we ask, it will be given. If we seek, it will find. And the Holy Spirit will be given to us and will change in some way. If the gift is what Jesus said it would, then certainly it will change us. A chapter later, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching and he says this, When you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. The Spirit will give us the words that the world needs to hear and the courage to say them. In John, in the time where he's praying right before he's arrested, one of the things he's praying about and teaching the apostles is this, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. 
the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So this gift of the Spirit is a connection with God and a connection with Jesus Christ. And even though Jesus is no longer living here, we're not alone. He's with us in the form of his Spirit. And so let's go back to Acts chapter 1 to this story where the apostles are waiting with expectation as we should be waiting with expectation for the Spirit. So they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Which is to say, hey God, this earthly kingdom we've been asking about and waiting for, is it finally going to get here? Which is to say, they still don't understand what Jesus is up to. This is the last moments that he's spending with them, and they don't understand. And it would be tempting for Jesus in this moment, I imagine, to say, all right, let me start over again. You guys still don't get it. Let me explain to you that it's not restoring the kingdom of Israel with a throne that David's going to sit on and one of you inherits it when I leave. That's not what I'm talking about. But he's not worried about explaining it to them. Because he knows the Spirit's going to come and reveal to them all the pieces that they don't understand and make clear to them in all of the ways that they need to understand it. So he just says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Why were they waiting? Because they'd read the story about Elisha and Elijah. They read the story that if they saw him ascend, that they would receive the Spirit and be able to do the things that Jesus had done. That's the standard that Elisha gave to these guys as they're waiting here. And they're standing here for so long looking up and waiting because they expect that when the Spirit is given to them, what's going to happen? They're going to be changed. And in that moment, they're still the same. And so they saw him leave, and they haven't been changed, and so they're just waiting. And they're looking. And I, I wonder if one or two of them would have said, hey, Do you feel any different? No. Do you? Not yet. And they're there long enough that angels have to show up and say, what are you doing here? Go to Jerusalem and wait. You'll receive what has been promised, but not today. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they start waiting, and they end up waiting 40 days before the Spirit comes on them. And when the Spirit comes on them, they not only know what to say, but they have the courage to say it. 
they not only receive the ability to communicate to all the people that are there, but the willingness and the guts to do it. These same apostles that scattered a few short weeks ago are now suddenly proclaiming the kingdom to anyone who will listen. They're willing to give their lives. They're willing to go to the corners of the earth. They realize that the kingdom is not about bringing all of the nations under Israel. It's about taking Israel to all the nations. That the blessing's going out, not about coming in. They expected something to change. They believed that a double portion of the Spirit would lead them to do the things Jesus did. And they waited for it with expectation and anticipation And I believe one of the failures of the church so often today is that we don't wait with expectation for the Spirit to move us and transform us and to grow us and to give us a before photo and an after photo that will make the world say, sign me up for that workout plan. Sign me up for whatever it is you've got that's transforming you. And it would give them the sense of expectation that the Spirit could change them. If we can buy into this idea that God's wanting to increase us and grow us up and move us and change us, that expectation will lead to results. Because God's not going to disappoint you if you enable Him to do what He already wants to do in you. So as we look forward to next year, I hope that you have expectation that God's going to show up in your life. I hope that you have anticipation that God's going to show up in this church. I hope that it gets you excited. I hope that it gives you a little bit of anxiety. Because when God shows up, things often get uncomfortable. Because he starts changing things and doing things and moving us and changing us. And we tend to be status quo people and we don't have a status quo God. I hope the Holy Spirit this year shows up and changes us, changes our circumstances, changes the kingdom, changes every corner of the earth. That the Spirit moves us and sends us, gives us the words to say and the courage to say them. Let me say a prayer. We're going to end in this prayer, and after this prayer, we'll be led in an invitation song if you need to respond. Here's the prayer. Father God, this year, uh, as we end this year, I pray that you will send your spirit. Father, we cannot go forward into these challenging days without you. Father, if you don't go with us, then how will the world know that we are your people? Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, give us the gifts to serve you and serve the world in the ways that you have put in front of us to do, and a willingness to do that which you have gifted us to do. Father, I ask that you would open our mouths to tell people the good news. Father, give us the words of truth and the words of love that the world needs to hear. Father, increase our love and joy. Increase our peace and our patience. Father, as we go into a new year, increase our kindness and our goodness. Father, increase our faithfulness, our gentleness, and our self-control. Father, I ask that you would comfort those who are struggling, who are suffering, who are going through tough times, that your spirit and counselor and advocate would be present to them. Father, I ask that you would give us joy in all circumstances. Father, help us to expect you to show up. Father, help us to join you when we see you moving in the world. 
Father, I ask that you would send your spirit to, to us, that you would guide us forward into tomorrow. Father, help me and help all of us to not put off until tomorrow what you are calling us to do today. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, who sent us his spirit, that we pray all of these things. In his name, amen. Let's have an invitation song. Let's stand and sing. <coughs> oh.